Hello and welcome to BSI and to today's webinar, Prioritising People, the Route to Successful, Sustainable and Resilient Construction. My name is Charlotte Brodie. I'm the Global Head of Marketing for the Built Environment at BSI and I'm joined by Kate Field, our Global Head of Health, Safety and Wellbeing. For those who haven't joined us before, Kate has two decades of experience in occupational health and safety, covering most industry sectors. Kate started her career with the HSC, Health and Safety Executive in the UK, first as a regulatory inspector and then into policy, where she led initiatives to tackle workplace health risks. Kate has several years of consultancy experience in securing, developing and delivering health and safety programmes for a number of clients. So thank you, Kate, for joining us today. And on the screen, you can see today's agenda. So firstly, I'm going to be giving you a very brief introduction to BSI, and then I'll hand over to Kate as she explores mental health, diversity, well-being programs, and then this will be followed by our final Q&A session. So moving on, our purpose at BSI is inspiring trust for a more resilient world. We help to shape and guide innovation through improving and standardising business processes, products and services to enable advancement. We're independent and free from any outside influence as all profit is reinvested back into BSI to help us to continue support and drive further change. And of course, prior to COVID-19, health, safety and well-being was already a key priority for all involved with construction of buildings and infrastructure but this now becomes an even more critical objective. And together, we face the challenge of ensuring safety and well-being of all involved and protecting our workforces. And we're here to help you by serving you and finding new ways of delivering services that support industry, focused in, on enabling organisations to survive, stabilise, rebuild and be resilient. Moving on. We are dedicated to all who work across the asset life cycle in their endeavours to become more sustainable and resilient, whether you play a role in the design, construction, operating or decommissioning of assets. And we focus on four key areas, health, safety and well-being, digital transformation, environmental management and the circular economy and best practice for supply chain management and procurement. And moving on, before I hand over to Kate, we thought a good place to start would be to invite you to share your own organisation's approach to mental health during COVID-19. So if you could take a few moments to select one of the options there that relates best to you, um, and we will share these results anonymously um, once everybody's made their choices. So have you um, focused on promoting existing measures such as an EAP, an employee assistance program? Have you made additions to existing measures such as uh, increasing the training that you've been delivering? Have you introduced new measures not previously in place or have you not taken any steps? Are there no measures in place in response to COVID-19? So whilst I'm waiting for the answers to come in, uh, just to confirm today's recording will be made available afterwards and also uh, you will receive some useful resources as well as gain access to previous webinars that Kate and I have run together looking at other aspects of health, safety and well-being. 
So I think it's now time uh, for us to share the results um, and let's take a look and see how you have responded to those four choices. Um, it's quite an even split. Uh, we've got a joint first place um, with 33% of you um, saying that you've made additional um, changes to existing measures at 33% and the same for those of you who've introduced new measures that weren't previously in place. And then um, promotion of existing measures such as an EAP, 22% uh, of you have chosen that option and then 11% have said no measures in place. So thank you very much for taking part in that um, and it's now my pleasure to hand over to Kate. Thank you Kate uh, and welcome. Lovely. Thank you, Charlotte. And good day to everyone who's joined. Thank you very much. It's good to have so many of you with us today. Um, we've got three really quite <laughs> complex areas uh, to cover in this webinar. So, um, you know, what I'm going to do is really just give a really high level introduction and, and just pull out some key themes and challenges and maybe uh, areas for you to think about within your your own organizations um, and you know this although this um, session has been developed specifically for our built environment sector all of the key themes for those of you who have joined us from outside of that sector will apply just just as relevantly but some of the examples I, I will talk about are specific to um, the built environment so if we're starting with um, mental health, I think it's a really useful to start um, by understanding what mental health actually is. Um, we talk about it a lot, but sometimes I think we don't really understand what it means for us. And in simple terms, uh, our mental health influences how we think and feel about ourselves and others, and importantly, how we interpret events. And a really good example of this is, you know, if you've been in a, in a queue for something and, you know, somebody jumps the queue and some days you're like, ah, oh, it's fine, whatever, I'm in no rush. Um, and then some days you're like, oh, that's really annoying. Um, and that's actually a really simple example about maybe what's going on in our in our lives and having an impact on our, our mental health and therefore interpret impacts the way we react to events. And our mental health affects our capacity to learn, to communicate, to form, sustain, and even end relationships. And really importantly, it's our, um, it influences our ability to cope with change or life events and the, and the things that happen um, as, as we go through our lives. And good mental health is as important as good physical health to our overall life um, and our well-being. And work plays a really important part in that, um, both from our physical and our mental health. You know, there's very good evidence and research that show that people who are in work are overall healthier and happier. But of course, we also do need to recognise that um, work can have a negative impact on both our physical and mental health. Um, and we'll explore that shortly. So within the work context, what we're aiming to do is create an environment that fosters good mental health and eliminates or minimises um, those causes of um, mental health and, and psychosocial risk within the workplace, um, as well as obviously physical health. So the other thing to consider um, and just make sure that we're kind of all aware of and understand uh, uh, in, in principle is around mental illness. 
And mental illness is exactly the same as physical illness. It's on a scale. Um, you know, we can have very good physical health and we can be very unwell for short, long uh, or, or long periods of time. And it's exactly the same with mental health. So I'm going to I'm going to talk it through as an example, but from a physical health point of view. So we all suffer sometimes with just feeling a little bit under under the weather. Um, maybe at this time of year, you know, we've got a mild cold, um, you know, and we just don't feel great for a couple of days. It doesn't necessarily stop us working or have any meaningful impact on our lives. We don't necessarily need to take any over the counter medication or anything like that. But maybe we just get a couple of early nights nights. Then, of course, you know, we can become slightly more ill. Um, you know, at, at the moment, um, obviously, we're dealing with um, a coronavirus that can have a range of implications for our health from, from those mild to the, the more serious. But even if we look at COVID-19, for, for most people, you know, they may feel poorly for, you know, a, a few days or even a couple of weeks. And again, you know, overall, for most people, um, the, the symptoms are, are mild and they don't really require much in terms of medical intervention. But of course, there are some people who maybe have underlying health conditions, which means that the implications um, for COVID-19 are, are more serious um, and they do then need hospital treatment um, and uh, intervention. Um, but again, they, they recover. And then, you know, there are health conditions, things like diabetes, which actually, you know, are long term and they need um, a kind of a, a regular medical intervention but actually they're manageable um, and they don't impact our, our daily lives or our working lives and then of course there are very serious illnesses you know things like cancers where actually you know people come very ill they need a lot of medical intervention but even with those very serious illnesses people can recover um, and resume a perfectly um, normal lifestyle and it's exactly the same with mental illness. We we all have that range um, and at different times in our lives. Um, and, you know, just as maybe with um, some forms of um, physical health, you know, our, our, uh, our own behaviours, particularly in looking after our, our physical health, can have an impact on both our physical and mental health. And actually one of the things that is shown that sort of what we might call risky health behaviors so things like smoking or binge drinking not doing enough exercise maybe um, abusing substances and not getting enough sleep not only impact our physical health but also impact our mental health um, and a study in um, America by NIOSH shows that construction workers um, tend to be at much higher risk of these um, behaviours um, and therefore are, are much more likely to suffer um, higher levels of physical and in this case as we're talking about um, is mental ill health. And the other thing to consider with mental ill health is that we have this vicious cycle around it um, in as much as we're, we're a bit scared of it because we don't really understand it. So we don't talk about it. So we don't get that understanding. 
which means that we don't recognize it in ourselves or other people. Um, and so we don't learn any more about it. So we remain scared about it. Um, and this is a cycle that it's really important that we break. Um, if we are going to make meaningful steps to improve mental health and mental illness awareness um, and actually help and support people, then we need to break this vicious cycle. And I think the, the other thing to understand, particularly with the construction sector, is I mentioned that, you know, there is a higher prevalence of um, mental ill health uh, overall within the sector. But one of the um, real uh, tragedies is that because it's a predominantly male workforce, um, there's we know from research and, and, you know, unfortunately, the statistics that men are much more likely to take their own lives. And when we consider this within construction, that's that's even more the case. Um, again, you know, there's various research and studies from around the world that show that, you know, um, low skilled male laborers, um, particularly like those in constructions, are um, much more likely to take their own lives than the average population. Um, and that's something that, again, we need to understand and make sure that we're breaking this vicious cycle um, to, to end that tragedy. And part of the cycle that we need to break is around stigma and discrimination, because unfortunately there, there is a lot of stigma and discrimination and misunderstanding around mental ill health. And this creates or reinforces this cycle where people feel uncomfortable about talking about it or are more worryingly scared about reporting it or raising concerns and therefore getting help. Um, and it also means that those individuals who are suffering with mental illness, whether that's, you know, the short, the short term, the long term or, or, you know, whatever that variation is, it means it's much harder for them to reach out um, and get help and, and therefore lead a normal life. And as a result of that, you know, they become more isolated um, and that then further um, uh, damages their, their mental health. Um, and, you know, that's the point at which it can become much harder, harder to keep or maintain um, a job or get a new job. Um, and again, because if, if people are reluctant to come forward and talk about the fact that they're, they're maybe not feeling 100%, um, you know, they, they aren't going to get that help, which means that their recovery will be slower and more difficult. And it is important to understand this relationship between physical and mental health. If somebody um, is suffering with mental illness, it is likely to start to impact their physical health. And in the same way that if you're suffering with physical uh, illness, it is also likely to impact on your mental um, health. So, you know, there is this relationship and it's important that we understand it. But one of the key things that research into mental illness has shown us that actually people who are ill um, say that the, the discrimination um, and stigma that they face um, in work or, or potentially in social, social situations can actually be a bigger burden than the illness itself, which is why, you know, particularly when we're thinking in the work context, we need to break down um, the barriers and make sure that that discrimination and stigma isn't there. But one of the questions I quite often get asked is, you know, what's the relationship between um, mental illness and stress? 
So it's probably useful to start at the beginning for this one as well and understand what stress is. And stress is our body's natural defence. Um, it's it stems from the days when we had to fight fight and go and collect our own dinner dinner or fight, uh, fight off saber-toothed tigers and it's it's commonly referred to as our fight or flight response um, and this response means that when something happens this we have a very natural inbuilt chemical and physical reaction that kicks in um, and it's our body's automatic way of keeping us safe. It's a really fantastic um, and amazing uh, system that our body has to keep us safe and well. Um, and when this reaction kicks in, it, it has an, a number of um, impacts that sometimes we don't even know or recognize or see but it's perfectly normal and as I say it's it's automatic so it's out of our hands but for instance it can have a physical impact so it will raise our heartbeat and our blood pressure it will prepare our muscles so our muscles will tense ready for fighting or fight or fighting it will have an emotional response so we will come more alert um, and it will have an, a mental impact so you know it will uh, have an impact in terms of um, looking around and identifying or being anxious about what's going on around us and all of that is perfectly natural and it's a really positive reaction when it happens because it's about keeping us safe. I'm having a mild stress reaction now presenting to you um, because one of the other things that this reaction does is it helps us perform at our best, you know, um, helps me present hopefully um, in an engaging way. It helps top athletes perform at their best. You know, if you think about um, a sprinter when the um, starting gun goes off, when that happens they have a, a a stress response that means that they react and you know looking after um, maybe a newborn child you know when we've got a lack of sleep it's a, a lot of what's going on and, and what keeps us going and able to keep functioning is actually the stress response within our body so it's important to understand that it is a positive and it's a natural thing the challenge is when we are exposed to stress in uh, an ongoing or prolonged or repetitive approach. Um, and that's when stress can build up over time. And it's usually weeks or more commonly months. <clears throat> and it is that build up of stress over a period of time that will break down our ability to cope. And when stress starts to cause ill health, both physical and mental and that's the challenge and that's what we need to understand stress by itself isn't a problem but when it is re prolonged or repeated over a period of time then actually that's when it starts to become problematic and if we think about what can cause stress in our lives there's a there's a huge range and I'm not going to go through all of these you'll have the slides um, after the um, presentation so you can review these but there's course the stress that we have in our lives, I've mentioned having a child, getting married, you know, losing a loved one or a breakdown, you know, um, concerns about debt and money. Um, but also happy things can cause stress, you know, weddings, birthdays, falling in love. Um, all of these things can create that stress response. 
within the workplace, you know, there are a whole range of factors that can create stress, you know, bullying and harassment we've touched on um, already and we'll come back to, but change, poor working hours, um, unrealistic deadlines, job insecurity, unsafe workplaces, you know, poor leadership, lack of trust, you know, there's a huge range there. But obviously within the workplace, there can be very more serious in incidents that can have um, serious impacts on our on stress and therefore our physical and mental health, um, you know, um, uh, violence, physical attacks, um, witnessing events, um, you know, being involved um, in uh, a road traffic accident, all of those things are, you know, can be obviously very traumatic. And, and the same can happen in our personal lives as well, unfortunately. Um, and it's important that we recognise that. But we are today focusing about um, within the workplace and understanding what psychological health um, means within the workplace. And um, there's some statistics here that, uh, you know, we are starting to understand that the cost of psychological ill health and stress and, and mental illness that can result from stress um, has a huge impact on the economy and on organisations because of the disruption, the absence, um, and therefore the financial implications that come with that. Um, and we know that psychological health and mental health and stress within the workplace has, you know, been an issue for a long time. Um, you know, stress, chronic forms of stress might be referred to as burnout. You know, stress can I talked about, you know, the physical and mental ill health that re can result and it can lead to anxiety and depression, um, you know, and that can cost, you can see some of the figures there, you know, one trillion dollars uh, um, for depression, anxiety across the globe um, each year. You know, if we look at some statistics there for the construction sector, um, you know, 2.25 um, billion um, pounds. Um, and that's just with absence costs. So it is hugely impactful. And when we think about the current situation um, in terms of COVID-19, it's important that we don't underestimate the impact that this will have on mental health. You know, we need to understand that everybody res will respond differently. Um, we will go through peaks and troughs um, as as we understand what's happening or not happening or changing or not being changed in terms of our, our impact uh, in terms of COVID-19. And it is important to understand that this will have short, medium and long term implications. It is clearly causing stress. You know, I've said that things like change causes stress. You know, there's a lot of change going on in our lives job insecurity as we um, go into a global recession, that will cause stress um, and, you know, that financial um, and debt concerns. Um, and that will potentially um, develop into mental illness, particularly anxiety and depression. But those um, individuals who potentially have anxiety and depression already, this will um, potentially only make the situation worse for them. And there is evidence um, coming through, although the statistics all always um, run um, sort of about a year or two years um, behind. But there is growing evidence that uh, sadly suicide rates are increasing. 
um, during this time. And the other, other one to bear in mind is that there's very good evidence from previous epidemics and pan pandemics that they can lead to post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, and um, PTSD is something that can often show up um, months or even years after the event. So when I say that, you know, what we need to consider within our workplaces um, is the short, medium and long term impact of COVID-19, then we really do need to be thinking, you know, months and years. And again, I'm not going to go through this slide in detail, but this is just a, an overview of some of the more common forms of um, psychosocial risk that individuals may be experiencing during this time. Um, so things like lack of control, you know, there's all this change going on, um, you know, that you're not necessarily um, getting a chance to input into that change. You, you don't feel in control of it. You know, as so many of us, you know, potentially are working from home from the first time, you know, we might feel more isolated. We not, might not feel so um, supported. And that might have an impact also in our concerns in terms of career development. There's obviously a lot of concern about job job security um, as as we um, go through the economic impact. Um, and also, you know, unfortunately, one of the things we've also seen is that um, there's an increase in um, violence and discrimination, particularly for those frontline workers who may be uh, exposed to COVID-19 um, and you know that that has real implications for their um, psychological health and on the other side of, of this um, table is just some examples of, of some of the things that you know you within your organization can do to try and manage some of these so you know if we if we kind of think about the last one they started with sort of violence and harassment then it's important to listen to individual anxieties and, and make sure that people feel that they're being heard and listened to that you're offering additional safety measures um, to prevent that uh, you know violence and aggression um, reinforcing zero tolerance policies where you have them you know and being supportive and flexible so there are a whole range of, of measures um, and you can review these in a little bit more detail um, at your leisure when you've got a copy of the presentation but some of the real challenges um, with understanding psychological health within the workplace are that organizations just don't understand the issues they don't understand what gives rise to psychological ill health um, and what are known as psychosocial risks and I'm very specifically not going to define that because if you're listening and you don't understand what psychosocial risks are then you need to go and find out you know that's part of breaking down this barrier um, and making a difference and, and starting to change things so you know we need help to understand what these ha hazards are organizations then don't know what action to take um, you know how to eliminate or mitigate the cause of those psychosocial risks um, therefore guidance and examples are needed and then you know kind of organizations don't understand how to manage it as part of their occupational health and safety and well-being programs within an organization so there is the need for this global good practice framework to help organizations and I'm really pleased to announce that this is in action this is actually happening now um, there is a draft international uh, 
standard available, um, ISO 45003, Occupational Health and Safety Management, which is specifically looking at psychosocial, um, psychological health and safety and managing psychosocial risks. So this is the world's first global standard giving practical guidance on managing psychological health at work. It is uh, if you like a companion, a guideline standard to go with 45001 um, and it follows the same high level structure as 45001. Now I've mentioned it's in draft, it's about, it's 95% technically correct so you can get a copy of the draft and start using it because when it's, when it's published which is due um, for summer next year um, it won't change substantially. Um, as I say, it's 95% technically correct. There'll just be some tidying up and some editing um, that will be going on. So this is really exciting because what 45003 does is to answer those challenges that I mentioned. So it provides information on how to recognise um, psychosocial hazards that can affect workers and in actual fact it gives examples, um, three tables of examples in fact. It offers um, examples of often simple actions that organisations can take to eliminate and manage these. And it has this the uh, hierarchy of, of prevention. If for those of you who are health and safety professionals, you know, we are used to the higher hierarchy of controls. The same principle applies for psychological risk. Um, but they use the term primary, secondary and tertiary. So primary is, is really sort of the elimination and, and very robust sort of engineering controls, if you want to think, of, think about it from that, you know, th those measures that will really uh, focus on preventing um, the causes of um, psychosocial risk in the first place. Secondary is, is much more kind of what we might called the administrative controls, you know, the policies, the training, the awareness. Um, and then uh, sort of underneath that is what we call tertiary, which is actually the interventions um, when people start to become unwell. And, and in particular, there is a focus on rehabilitation and return to work, which is a hugely important element within this context. So I wanted to kind of just frame that um, but introduce a slight change of pace um, and so I'm just going to play this video and then I'll explain why. Come here, Claudia, you're just messing. Come up here, Claudia. Just come up. Come up here. Come up. Up, 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 up. The mouse not going to move because he just whacked the, the computer with his head. So let me let me just verbalize the forecast, okay? That wasn't a, that wasn't very smart. We'll have clouds overnight tonight with temps uh, in the 60s. Then tomorrow, mix of clouds and sun, a couple of showers, uh, and temperatures will top off uh, in the uh, probably the, like the mid 80s. And then coming up on uh, Friday and Saturday, partly cloudy, turning more humid uh, with temperatures again in the in the mid 80s. Didn't mean to keep you up. Next time, buddy, we're going to eat after this. So that's the forecast. Uh, I will be back uh, at at 4.45 with, oh boy, oh boy. She's, she's, she's jumping up looking for Craig outside the window. Oh, don't oh take boy. this the wrong way, oh, Paul, boy. but this is amazing oh, and great. Boy. I love, love it. Uh, oh. So you're probably wondering why I showed that clip. 
And I think, again, this refers to the point I made at the beginning of the presentation is that actually, you know, sometimes life events can have a positive impact. Um, they might cause us stress, but they can have um, positive impacts that we need to recognise. And if we're looking at COVID-19, there are some positive aspects and opportunities that have come out of this. Um, and one of the key things in thinking about the, the title of this um, session about prioritising people is it has allowed us to be seen as human beings in a way that really hasn't necessarily happened before. You know, so as and, you know, appreciate this doesn't apply for everybody um, and particularly in the construction sector, you know, the people who aren't working at home because that's not practical. But for an awful lot of the population, they are for the first time, you know, we're having meetings with our boss and, you know, we're meeting their kids and their family and their dog and their cat. Um, you know, they're seeing our lives as well. Um, and it means that we are seeing as, as human beings with lives um, outside of work that sometimes we just lose sight of when we're in the workplace all the time. And as part of that, it's it's mean that, you know, there is an improvement in the culture um, of trust, you know, and I think that's really positive. And, you know, one of the reasons we asked the poll at the start of this session is that, you know, there has been a recognition um, that this situation will have an impact on people's mental health and therefore organisations are taking proactive steps to help and support with that. And that is really positive. And we are seeing also, you know, some really uh, innovative risk management uh, approaches. And the other thing that's I think organisations are starting to maybe see is the opportunity that this creates for diversity and inclusion. One of the things, and I've, I've had a conversation just this week with somebody who was saying that, you know, in a face-to-face -face meeting, um, they might be reluctant to speak up, um, but on, on a Zoom call, they feel much more empowered and able to speak up and be part of that. Um, and if you multiply that out into maybe, you know, people with physical disabilities who struggle to um, be able to get into a central workplace, suddenly, actually, they can engage in work in a way that maybe wasn't possible for them before. And this is really important in terms of embracing diversity, which brings us nicely on to the next topic. And why is diversity and inclusion so important? It's to do with the culture of your organisation. And for those of you um, who joined the, the first of the series of webinars, then this is something I covered in much more detail. Um, and you will get a, a link to the recording in the email of that um, that's being sent um, to this first webinar. And the key thing really with culture um, and diversity and inclusion plays a really important part of this is it enhances your organisational resilience. The, the more that you progress your culture, um, the more you have a, div, a diverse and empowered workforce, the better your culture and therefore the better your organisational resilience. So it's a really important strategic focus. And failing to take into account diversity and inclusion will undermine your, your culture. It will increase risk, 
it will decrease the resilience of your organization it will certainly reduce any innovation and of course it may lead to legal challenges because in in many many countries there are there's specific legislation um, associated with diversity inclusion and discrimination but some of the challenges we have with diversity um, are around things like conscious and unconscious bias. So, you know, some simple examples of this, you know, we might consider that older workers aren't able to learn new skills. We understand and know from research that um, we generally underestimate a woman's performance, but overestimate a man's performance. And therefore that creates barriers for women's career development. And white privilege is a real barrier to people of colour. And one of the things that we need to consider also is that health and safety can often become uh, an inadvertent discrimination tool. And we've seen actually this with COVID-19. Um, in our desire to keep people safe, um, and particularly those who may be classed as vulnerable, um, in some cases they've been prevented from entering the workplace, um, and actually that's a, a form of discrimination. So it is something that, you know, for those of us who are health and safety professionals, we need to have a, a very clear understanding of. And when we're thinking specifically of health and safety, then, you know, actually we can have risk assessment bias. So we tend to do our risk risk assessments focusing on a on the sort of the the generic norm of the business which tends to be male um, so it might and and um, particular ethnic groups so it might not accommodate you know specific ergonomic needs for women or older workers for instance the challenges around working patterns and flexible working um, is something that is 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 particularly um, uh, can be a particular barrier for people from different backgrounds or with particular needs being able to enter the, the work pattern. Simple things such as, as biology can be an issue. You know, if we think about gender issues, um, having enough uh, toilets and, and facilities for women on construction sites can be a real challenge. Um, and often simple things like having um, bins for disposal of sanitary wear um, aren't provided. Um, and that sort of is excluding for women. And we've touched on, you know, one of the, the challenges that we have is around bullying, harassment and, and violence, you know, for those for who have mental ill health as i've mentioned you know can be exposed to um harassment and discrimination um people of color women um a whole range of people you know different religious beliefs can experience um bullying harassment and even violence um, and they are real challenges um to diversity and to try and bring it to life um, there's actually, you know, we can think of one of the most simple examples from which is particularly relevant within the construction sector, um, but also other sectors. And that's and that's the wearing of personal protective equipment. Now, if you think about this, any human, male or female, um, will be un unhappy about having to wear something that is uncomfortable, that, you know, doesn't fit them properly. Um, and worse still, that ill-fitting equipment can actually increase um, 
safety risk and actually cause physical and even mental ill health. Um, things like ill-fitting um, breathing apparatus or body protectors can lead to musculoskeletal disorders um, and poor fitting PPE um, can be a source of bullying and harassment. You know, there is the the paper that is shown there is a, a white paper that I wrote that you'll get a link to. Um, and that talks about some research that showed that, you know, where women were forced to wear PPE that was not suitable for them, basically made for men, um, they were they face um, bullying and harassment and intimidation because of it and people making fun of them. And although those individuals might not realise the impact those comments are making, it has a, a very uh, potentially very serious and long term impact on um, individuals mental ill health. So it is something that we need to really be conscious of. Um, and for us as health and safety professionals, you know, it's something that we need to consider within our, our risk management. Um, you know, we need to consider diversity when we're undertaking risk assessments. We need to ensure that diversity issues are incorporated into our health and safety training that we make links with other um, equality or inclusion activities that maybe are going on within the organisation and health and safety. So, you know, a very simple version of that is um, flexible working policies that might be um, implemented, um, actually linking that through to the um, our health and safety and particularly, you know, the, the, the positive impact that that can have on psychosocial risk. Um, <clears throat> And as part of that kind of flexible working, you know, what is what are the options for creating a more fulfilling um, work um, and options for career development within the workplace? These are all important elements to consider. Um, and it is hugely, hugely important to ensure that consultation and participation um, is really reflective of diverse groups um, within your organisation. Um, so any health and safety consultation or committees need to represent the diversity within the workplace. Um, and without that, then you will have limited success in terms of breaking down the barriers and improving diversity. So there are a number of things to consider. And again, it's a big topic um, really to, to cover um, in just a few minutes. But there is um, global good practice out there. Um, there is a British standard um, and, and there is actually in development a draft international standard on diversity and inclusion. Um, and I've also included a link to a paper um, that was written, which actually looks at good practice um, around equality and diversity within the construction sector. Um, so there is additional guidance to help you navigate this area. Um, but it is important, just as you know, we think about um, and talk about health and safety needing to be part of the strategic direction of the organisation, um, so does diversity and inclusion. And the reason for that is it all comes together as part of workplace wellbeing programmes, if we are doing it properly. So what exactly is um, well-being at work? Well, ISO 45003, which I mentioned, actually defines it as the fulfillment of the physical, mental and cognitive needs and expectations of a worker related to their work. 
and it's really important that we look at this definition and think about it and in particular two words fulfillment and expectations so what does that actually mean now there's a term that's developed um, which is called the psychological contract and it basically means that there are a number of written but more importantly unwritten expectations that a worker and an employer have about what their work will be like. Um, a worker might be thinking about their career development, their ability to have a meaningful work-life balance. Uh, an employer will be a, focused on productivity and value for money. And all of these expectations um, need to be understood and explored so that the fulfillment for the individual is met and that needs to be physical mental and cognitive so that's what we're aiming to do so what does good look like well i think it's possibly worth reflecting on what tends to happen with well-being programs at the moment so a lot of organizations will tend to focus on on wellness initiatives so focus very much on really physical health. So promoting uh, exercise, good nutrition, maybe sleep hygiene. Um, some organisations will include or add on to that um, employee assistance programme, um, some recognition that maybe individuals might need some support um, and, and potentially starting to think about um, mental ill health. Usually in that mix, there comes um, community engagement, particularly volunteering activities. Um, and then usually at some point, there's some um, uh, mental health training. Often it's resilience or it's something like mental health first aid training. And they have benefits, but what those steps fail to do is to identify, assess and manage the underlying psychosocial risks that cause physical, mental and cognitive ill health within the workplace. And those measures that are needed to create good work. And part of that is supportive absence and rehabilitation processes. And if we think about this in terms of um, maturity, what this tends to look like is organisations start on this journey, either after a, an employee survey or they've seen an increase in maybe sickness absence associated with stress or anxiety and depression. Um, and they start and they introduce the wellness initiatives and maybe introduce a, a, an HR policy on wellbeing. And you get an increase in employee engagement because, you know, it's seen as positive employees, workers see that the organisation wants to try and do something, but it doesn't really have any particular impact on, um, on the absence rates. And then sort of because the engagement increases, um, sort of the next step tends to be a, a greater level of leadership commitment, maybe involved better worker involvement and you know maybe the introduction of, of more policies around flexible working and uh, the introduction of the EAP often comes around this this phase and at this phase we can actually start to see a slight improvement in things like um, sickness absence rates associated with stress and mental ill health 
But because the underlying issues haven't been addressed, what tends to happen is the, the absence rates go up because nothing's been done to correct the problems that are causing it. And because of that, you get engagement drop off. And then the real challenge is moving into this last segment, which is where you start to really think holistically about this, where you incorporate your psychosocial risk management, your health and safety risk management, your diversity, your inclusion into the strategic focus of, of the organisation and start to approach it in terms of understanding um, the psychological um, contract so that you are truly fulfilling an individual's um, potential. So before we get on to the final concluding part of this presentation, I'd really like to hear your thoughts about where you are. So I'll hold, hand back to Charlotte for this poll. Fantastic. Thank you, Kate. Uh, so yes, we now come to our second poll. And uh, based on what Kate has just described with you around um, the well-being sort of maturity, um, we would love to know where you see your organisation um, at the moment. So uh, are you um, at the emerging phase? Uh, are you, is your uh, well-being maturity kind of established or is it really accelerating and excelling? Um, so whilst we're waiting for these answers to come in, uh, I'd like to mention we do have a number of downloads as well available for you today. So do have a look at these. They're on the right hand side of your screen. Um, and if I could just ask for the uh, results to be shared um, just a reminder these are anonymous um, so the top answer um, for people who joined us today is 56% uh, of you who've responded have said that you are at the emerging stage 31% um, uh, have uh, an established uh, well-being maturity kind of strategy and 13% of you um, tell us that you are accelerating in this space so an interesting split there Kate um, and I will now hand back to you um, for the next session. Lovely thank you Charlotte and thank you um, for participating for those of you that did and that and that's really interesting um, and I think that's that's quite common um, I'm going to be a little bit challenging now, particularly for that 13% that said they were moving into accelerating, because in order to be in that accelerating um, category, then this is what good potentially looks like. This is what you've got to be covering to be moving up into that um, upper category in terms of accelerating your approach to workplace, um, workplace well-being and really, truly prioritising people. You need to have three elements within this, good organisations, good work and well workers. So good organisations, that's where culture and leadership comes in. That's where effective consultation and participation must be happening. It's where you need positive relationships, really good supporting mechanisms between peers, between hierarchies. You need very robust um, uh, violence, bullying and harassment prevention. You need very robust equality and diversity um, and you've got to not only have robust policies and procedures, but actually demonstrate that you have a diverse workforce and that you have equality across that workforce and that you have a fair and respectful workplace. The work element, so that needs to consider the workplace environment. So, you know, this is almost the, 
the kind of the basics you know is there clean is it is it a, a good atmosphere um, and I mean that in terms of is it clean um, is there good lighting is there accessible accessible water and facilities you know it's, it's some of the nitty-gritty this is where if you like what we might call traditional health and safety would fit but importantly within this we've got to think about those psychosocial risks so this is you know incorporating all the elements that give rise um, to psychological health within the workplace you know and part of that is around having very secure employment about having a fulfilling career and career development that you have autonomy control and discretion over the way you work and that there is a balance between the effort that you put in and the, and the reward and that tends to focus on work-life balance and flexible working type initiatives and then the last element is the well worker so this is where what we tend to see in terms of well-being programs sit you know this is the personal health and well-being piece so the the nutrition the exercise regimes all of that piece but we also need really robust absence management and rehabilitation processes and also the social element so you know actually we understand that that fulfillment um piece and, and expectations people want to have a sense of um being able to help and support their community but it's also about individual support so you know things like pension planning come in here annual leave you know that what what will create um, a better uh, social connection for the individual and when you get that right then you have an organization that has high levels of trust high levels of resilience first class performance really diverse and inclusive workplaces that are innovative and they have a loyal and healthy workforce there is information available on all of these subjects it's all hyperlinked and as i say you'll get a copy of this presentation so you can click through and do this and when you get the email with this information you'll also get a link to our new world of construction report and also our cultural maturity quiz that explores some of these areas in much more detail so that brings us up to our final poll and our q a then please charlotte Fantastic. Thank you, Kate. Uh, such great insight and such an important topic. So um, I'm going to ask for our final poll to be launched and we'll leave that on the screen. Um, it is essentially really to see how we can help you, our audience, um, in your own um, journey around this topic, uh, including um, whether you would also like to receive a copy of the New World of Construction report that, uh, that Kate has mentioned. So um, we do have about five minutes remaining. Um, so Kate, I do have a few questions I'd love to share with you to get your um, thoughts on these. Mm -hmm. And the first one is from uh, Tara who has asked how can construction provide mental health when it's years of training um, are we in danger of carrying extra responsibility that is actually outside our expertise so any thoughts on that mm. okay so that's I mean that's a really good question and it's really important to understand that this, when we talk about mental health and, and understanding it, it doesn't mean that we have to um, become a men mental health professional. You know, that's that's not our role. 
Um, but we do need to have awareness of what mental health and mental illness is. And we do need to understand, you know, what are the factors within work that can give rise to particularly stress, but other forms of mental um, and cognitive ill health so that we can address and challenge those. You know, then that's not about um, becoming a mental health professional. That's about um, understanding the issues at a basic enough level so that we can start to do something about it. Um, you know, we have introduced the, you know, in a number of countries are using mental health first aiders. And I, and I hear this a lot from them as well, that, you know, nervousness about them being, um, you know, seen as mental health professionals. Um, and, and they're not, you know, they, they are there to help and support and um, help and support and direct people to professional levels of support where that's appropriate. Um, and that's what we're, we're aiming to do. You know, we've got to raise awareness we've got to have an understanding um, but it's not about us being mental health professionals you know there are as you say it takes years to train for that um, and that's not required um, to make a difference and make a significant difference no absolutely and it's the the awareness is the first step in that journey isn't it really mm. um, and uh, a, a question from uh, Mariam um, asking about how how diversity can work with um, with strategic priorities so uh, quite a, a challenging question but um, any thoughts on on diversity in that situation yeah so I think that it's a it's a great question actually um, and I think one one of the things that uh, organizations still do is they think in silos uh, so they think about health and safety in one silo they think about diversity in another silo they might think about resilience in another um, silo and they might think about innovation in another silo the point is that all of these things are related um, and this comes back to the culture of the organization um, and you know if you're you know quite common at the moment is organizations have a strategic focus on resilience well unless you understand how important diversity is to resilience then you're only going to have limited um, impacts you know innovation is another strategic priority well you won't create innova innovation unless you have a diverse workforce so they are absolutely front and center of strategic priorities as are you know your integrated um, and holistic approach to prioritizing your people which incorporates all of those things absolutely they go hand in hand don't they mm. um, and uh, I think as we are coming to a, a sort of hard stop now um, I think we will try and answer some of the other questions perhaps that people have sent in um, separately but we do come to the end of uh, of today's session so just as we move on to our last slide um, just wanted to let people know that um, I'm really pleased Kate's going to join me again um, in December uh, as uh, the next topic will be looking at the strategic 
digitalization, which we know is absolutely happening um, in industry, but what does this mean from a health, safety and well-being perspective? So it's looking at it from that angle. Um, we will share the recording from today's webinar, as we've mentioned, so do look out for this and those useful links. Um, thank you, Kate, for joining us today. Great insight, as always, and lots of things for people to hopefully um, think about in their mental health and well-being journey. Um, thank you very much to our audience uh, for your participation and giving up your time to listen. And we do hope that you can join us again um, in December when we cover our final topic for the year. Thank you very much.